I'll repeat the instruction. Please close your eyes and imagine who we are. We were in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God, took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and he led us out. Now we are on our way to the promised land. We are not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us. And through blood sacrifice, we also have his presence in our midst. So he will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. You can open your eyes. Who are we? Okay. Good. That keep keep from your your right. Um, but I'm going to come back to that um, shortly. If you have a Bible, this is why you should always bring your Bibles. You should always bring them because you need to check that what's read to you is actually Scripture. And also because well I, I can't blame the technology the technician not the person at the back the person at the front 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 26 Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So who's writing? Paul's writing to whom? To the church in Corinth. And from whom did Paul receive it? From the Lord. So Paul didn't meet Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, but he did meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. And those who were with Jesus in the upper room, although they didn't number, they didn't include Paul among their number, Paul was meeting regularly with them. So let's go back to Luke. So turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 because it's to this passage or to the event that's recorded in this passage that Paul is referring. So Paul's giving commentary or retelling what happened that's recorded for us in Luke 22 and we're just going to read verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. And he, Jesus, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Paul gives an accurate and a true account, a retelling of what happened when Jesus and his disciples celebrated what? Passover. So that's the context in which this happened. Just, if you're still in Luke chapter 22, just go a few verses up to verse 
14. 13 even. They went and found it just as Jesus had told them and they prepared the Passover. That's Peter and John. Verse 14. When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus has an earnest desire to celebrate this festival with his disciples. So why was it so earnest? Why, or put this another way, why is Passover a big deal? Think on that one. Because? Because of what it represents. And what does it represent? Covenant. Jesus. Sacrifice. Deliverance. Pass. Death death passing over. The Passover. Okay, listen to this. This is a quote. It's from a Jewish... text it's going to it's from a book called it's quoted in a book called Remember Jesus by Steve Mottier and it's a commentary if you like and very early Jewish commentary just a couple of hundred years after the event even or not even that on Exodus 13 verse 8 and it says this In every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt. So it doesn't matter if you're 10 generations after the Passover happened, or 100 generations, or 1,000 generations after the angel of death passed over Egypt. In every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt. For it's written, and this is Exodus 13.8, Thou shalt tell thy son in that day, saying, It is because of that which the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. Therefore are we bound to give thanks, to praise, to glorify, to honor, to extol, and to bless him who wrought all these wonders for our fathers and for us. He brought us out of bondage to freedom, from sorrow to gladness, and from mourning to a festival day, from darkness to great light, and from servitude to redemption. So let us say before him the hallelujah. So every Jewish head of the house is to remember the Passover as if he himself had been led out of Egypt. It's not something that was historical. It's not a history lesson. It's not going to a museum. It's something to do as if the head of the house and his house with him themselves were led out of Egypt on that night. So, Jesus grew up in a home. We don't know very much about his childhood. But in terms of his ministry, who was his house? The disciples were the house. So he was the head of the house. He was in charge. And they were fighting as to who was number two. But that was the house. He was the head of the house. And that was the house. And that was why, looking back, it was important to Jesus to celebrate this with his disciples. They probably did it every year that they were together. But it's recorded for us here. It's not the only reason, and we're going to go on. But I want you to see how significant it was. And let's just go back further. It's why you should always have an Old Testament as well as a New Testament. 
Go back to Exodus chapter 12. Read the whole chapter if you, if you haven't read it recently. And even if you have, if we had time, we would. Exodus chapter 12. <coughs> this is the Lord speaking to Moses and to Aaron. For I, the Lord, will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood of the Lamb shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will before you to, dis- will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. How many eyes in those two verses? This is why I wanted the the words but how many eyes okay how and and then what verbs is the I doing okay so there's a lot for I will pass and I will strike I will execute judgments I am the Lord when I see the blood I will pass over you when I strike the land of Egypt. Who is I? The I am God. (coughs) This plague is different to all the others. How many others? How many others? Nine. So, in all the others, God sent a plague. He sent locusts or scent, whatever else, the frogs. But this plague is different because in this plague, God himself comes. God himself comes. Now imagine... We're back in the first Passover. We're back in Egypt as slaves. God has spoken to Moses and Aaron and we've received the instructions. Take a lamb without defect. Take the blood. Put it on the door. Make sure that there's no yeast in the home. This is why you should read the whole chapter. There's lots of instructions. Detailed, detailed instructions. And then, get dressed, ready for the journey. I was taught when I was young, it's it's rude. You, You take your coat off when you're having a meal at someone's table. Because a coat is for outside and you're saying, if the meal's not good, I'm going to get up and go. This was a specific instruction. Dress, pack your belongings, get ready to leave, and then eat the meal. And I'm the head of one household, and you're the head of another. And we have a conversation. And the conversation might go something like this. I'm nervous. And you, as head of your house, will say, well, I'm not nervous. Because Moses told us to do this. Did you get the lamb? And did you do the stuff with the blood? Yeah, I, I did all that. But I'm still a bit nervous. It's a bit weird and it's a bit strange. And then there's been all these plagues. And I don't know what's going to happen next. I'll just be glad when it's over. And you say, bring it on. I trust God. And God trusts Moses. 
So I trust Moses. So let's see. I'm excited. Which one lost his firstborn? Which, so I'm the head of one household and you're the head of the other. I'm the one who's a bit nervous and uncertain. But yes, I did it. And you're the one who's not nervous and you're sure and you're ready for this. And you did it. Which one lost the firstborn? Neither. Because, and this is where, again, I wanted the screen. This is a quote from Don Carson. And I don't have it fully here. It's not on the grounds of the intensity or the clarity of our faith that the accuser is silenced. It's not on the grounds of the intensity or the clarity of our faith that the accuser is silenced, but on the grounds of the object of our faith the blood of the Lamb. So it doesn't matter how I feel compared to how you feel as the head of the confident house, the confident head of the house and the concerned, worried, anxious, nervous head of the house. If the blood has been applied then the firstborn is spread. And you might say, well, you're not nervous because you've got three sons. So if the firstborn goes, you've got a couple of others and I've only got one and that's why I'm nervous. But go back a bit further to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And verse 22. Again, the Lord is speaking to Moses. And he says to Moses, Then you, Moses, shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. So the whole of Israel together is the firstborn of God. God wants to save the whole of Israel. And now, come out of Egypt and back to Grenfell on the Sunday morning, God still wants to save everyone. But he'll only save those who apply the blood. We were singing this earlier. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It's Revelation chapter 12. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Something very spiritual, the blood of the Lamb and then something very practical, the word of testimony. Air over the vocal cords, speaking syllables that are understood testimony. When we combine the spiritual and the natural in the way that God tells us to, then we're spared. So everything that happened in the Old Testament is to point to something in the New. So Elijah in the Old Testament points to who in the New? John the Baptist in the New. Crossing the Red Sea, which the Israelites went on to do after they were out of Egypt. They still had a sea to cross. Crossing the Red Sea in the Old Testament 
points to water baptism in the new. Crossing the Jordan River in the Old Testament points to Holy Spirit baptism in the new. And Passover, the feast that every head of every Jewish household still today celebrates, points to the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table, have different words and phrases for it. It's prophetic. What does prophetic mean? What it means is the action is both symbolic and spiritual. What you do is actually important. So you can guess where we're headed in terms of the culmination and climax of this service. What we do is actually important. <coughs> the blood had to be put where it was instructed. And that's why it's important that when we have communion, we actually eat and drink. Now, if you're in a church where you have one cup and you have a cold sore, then there's grace. And churches do this different ways. Some do it with bread with yeast and some do it with unleavened. Some do it with alcoholic wine and some do it with non-alcoholic wine. Some churches do this with one cup and other churches do it with many cups. Some churches do it where you eat and drink in your seats and other churches do it where you eat and drink at the front. There's different ways to do this. But pretty much all churches do this. Because it's a command from Jesus. So Passover, so let's go back this way as you're looking. Exodus 4, God says Israel is my firstborn. Exodus 12, God says in order to save the firstborn, take a lamb, take its blood, apply the blood, eat the meal, no yeast. Eat it while you're dressed, ready to go. And then go. And then we've got the history of Israel, exiles, a couple of exiles, and then back. And then we have John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And then we have Jesus, born, childhood, adolescence, ministry. And he now celebrates this Passover with his disciples. And then Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you and then he repeats the instruction. And then we read it today. What we're doing in a few minutes is what Christians, followers of Jesus, have done throughout history since that Passover meal. And it's what Christians today all across the world are doing. Remembering Jesus in the way that he told us to do it. Now, some churches focus a bit more or their emphasis tends to lie on the preaching. And other churches, their emphasis might lie on the communion. But again, most churches recognize that there's a unity between these two. And they show that unity by, it's usually the person who's leading, the person who preaches would often be the person who administers and leads communion. There's a unity between the scripture and this spiritual symbolic act, this prophetic act in which we take part. But we know this. If all we do is read this book, if all I do is speak about this book 
and it goes in and then out, it means nothing's changed. And if all we do when we have communion is eat and drink without realizing what we're doing, then again, nothing's changed. In the same way that we have to apply the word, we have to spiritually absorb the food and the drink, the bread and the wine. So we physically read and then we spiritually apply the word. We physically eat and drink and in the same way we have to spiritually apply, absorb what it is we're actually doing. It's as important as baptism. It's as important as baptism. But because we do it every month, some churches do it more and some churches do it less, but because we do it repeatedly, we sometimes lose sight, focus, if we ever had our sight and our focus on what it is we're actually doing. What will we do in heaven? <coughs> Keep going. Keep going. Okay, I, I heard I heard the answer I wanted. But let me show you why I wanted that specific answer. I'm going to give you three references. Matthew 8:11 you don't need to turn to them, but note them down if you wish. Matthew 8, 11, Luke 22, 30, and Revelation 19, 9. Matthew 8, 11, Luke 22, 30, and Revelation 19, 9. Matthew 8, 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west, Jesus is speaking, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's also a parable Jesus told. We're not going to go there. Luke chapter 22 and verse 30. We read earlier from Luke chapter 22. Verse 30. Jesus says in verse 28, You are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assigned to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. Verse 30, That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And Revelation 19, verse 9, John is writing and he says, the angel said to me, the angel said to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So in heaven, we are going to have a feast. More than anything else, we're going to have a feast. Now, at a wedding, the feast is important, but it's not most important. But it is important. It's what you talk about. So I remember at the wedding of our cousin, my cousin's husband, so his, the brother-in-law of the bride, and us were on a table and we managed to convince the waitress that there was actually a ninth person at the table when there wasn't, so we got a bit more food. I remember that. I remember that when Sally and I got married, the food was late. So we had to have the speeches before the food, which is a bit hard because then you've got to impress the people in the way that the food was supposed to impress the people. It's important. You will remember, if you go to a wedding and you're served bread and jam, you would remember. 
it's not the most important, but it is important. And sometimes in English culture, we call it a wedding breakfast. Don't let that confuse you, even though it might be in the afternoon. But it's important. And the whole point of marriage is to point to the relationship between Jesus and the church. And we're not yet married, so we're being prepared. So all the people who've ever lived and followed Jesus, they're there waiting, getting ready. We're going to join them. And then we'll have that marriage supper, that wedding feast. That's what we're going to do in heaven. It's not the most important, but it is very important. It's very important. It's, it's almost vital, I want to say. It's as vital as it is for us to absorb, to take in spiritual benefit when we eat a cracker and drink some brackets, alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine or grape juice. It's as important that we absorb the spiritual benefit of that as it is that we apply the word to our lives. Otherwise, we don't need to bother doing it or we can just do it whenever. And it's not important how often. So whether we do it lots or little, that's less important. We do it monthly as a congregation, approximately. So you can probably expect, expect one more this year. But small groups also represent the body of Christ. We can have communion in small groups. And actually when we have food in small groups, it's more than just keeping our stomachs quiet and our minds fed with glucose so that we can actually gain some benefit. It's actually doing something significant. When you eat with someone, you're you're saying you're at peace with the person. So when we have communion, in one way, as spiritual and symbolic as it is, or because it's spiritual and symbolic, we need to understand it as a meal. Jesus invites each one of us to a meal. Now, if the Queen invited me to Buckingham Palace for anything, even bread and jam, I would go. Because the Queen invited me. And Jesus invites us. So the first thing is to accept his invitation. It's his instruction. It's both an instruction and an invitation. It's both. Do this, but he he is a host. And he's a gracious, gentle, generous host. So when we accept an invitation, we listen to the host. When I get my letter from the Queen inviting me to Buckingham Palace, I will read the letter or the card or maybe the letter that accompanies the card to tell me what I should wear. I'm going to listen to my host because I don't want to offend my host. What is it the church in Corinth did that offended Paul who was representing their host you can read they were doing it individually that's what it was they were doing this as if it was me and God we're fine forget or worse everybody else which is the third practical point so accept the invitation listen to the host and the third practical point is this pay attention to the fellow guests communion we do it in congregation we do it in small groups do it in your families even if there's two in the family do it in your families don't do it on your own I would say because just find somebody else 
who is also following Christ because I don't see any reference in scripture to anyone having communion on their own you can't have union on your own it's a covenant communication it's in the context of community it's in the context of community always whether it be on a Sunday whether it be in small groups on a Wednesday whether it be in your families always together accept the invitation listen to the host pay attention to the others who are there and two more practical things and then a few more practical things as well before we actually do this think of those who aren't here in other words if you know someone should be in church this morning and isn't think of them also think of those who aren't here but are doing this somewhere else so churches all around here will be doing something very similar to what we're going to do about now or they'll have perhaps already done it or about to do it later it's not a shofar thing this is Jesus meal that's why when every time we do it we say if you're from another church if you're a follower of Jesus you're welcome to take part in this meal accept the invitation listen to the host pay attention to the fellow guests think of those who are not here and what do you think the fifth one is it's eat and drink physically eat and drink and it doesn't matter if you've got cold sores this morning because you'll get your own cup and I know there's no celiac disease in the room but if there was we'd have gluten-free wafers it's an invitation to everyone pay attention to other guests imagine that's what that's why Paul is writing they were at loggerheads there was not unity at this meal that they were at which they're intended to show their unity so you should be able to look around the room and be at peace with each person in the room and if there's something minor to sort out then just sort it out if it's a bit more major it might not be sortable within a minute or two but make a commitment to sort it so if you're thinking yeah and when you look around the room I'm fine with these people except then God would say when we have communion I want to have communion with these people he wants to take us to a point where we say I want to have communion with these people especially that one so if you've got a problem get over your problem because it's not children who determine their siblings I'm not the one who chose to be the eldest of four Johanna isn't the one who chose to be the eldest of five it wasn't her choice and it's not my choice now do people sometimes leave church yes people sometimes leave church Jesus told us that many would fall away Jesus told us that the love of most will grow cold many but actually if we go back to the original most people's love will grow cold but if we want to stay true to this long history where God says Israel's my firstborn and then he gives the instructions and then he leads them out of Egypt and into the promised land and makes sure they stay as a nation and then sends a messiah 
who lives and then celebrates his Passover and then dies. Jesus changed the focus. So all this is important. All this history is important. But Jesus changed the focus. Don't remember the Passover. Remember me. And his words, some people find it a bit strange when they look outside in on Christians who do this cannibalistic type meal. But however strange it might be for others to look at us, to the Jewish ear of the disciples, when Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Blood, they weren't allowed to have any of it from an animal. And Jesus says, as he passed around one cup, this is my blood. He's completely turning the focus. He's drawing them back. This would have been in the uppermost of their minds. They were having the Passover. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, it's about me. I've eagerly desired to share this with you before I suffer. All of this is a pointer to me and what I'm about to do and what I'm about to command my followers to do until I come back. So just five points before we actually eat and drink. The first is, and this was why I preached on it, just to be clear about the meaning what it is we're doing. It might have been just a few days or weeks or months, doesn't matter how long since we last did this, but if we don't understand what we're doing, if we don't understand the context in which Jesus gave the instruction, and then if we don't understand the way in which Jesus changed that context to say, this is about me, and if it's about him, then it's about us. It's not about him and me. It's about him and us. And not just us, but all those who follow Jesus. Be clear about its meaning. Bring your whole self. We're body, soul, and spirit, as was said at the start of the service. Bring your body. Bring your soul. Bring your spirit. Food is a good way of reminding us about that. When we eat, it's more than just what we eat. It's about the way it's cooked or the way it's served or the person I eat it with, the place I eat it, the conversation we have over the meal, the emotions that I have when I eat it. And there's something spiritual Back on, thank you. Needed to drop it. And then just two things. Look forward to the resurrection. Look forward to the resurrection. When Jesus said it, he was about to go through suffering, but he knew that he would be raised. And we know that we will be raised. And we won't need to have communion in heaven because we'll be there with Jesus. We won't need to do something to remember Jesus because he'll be there and we'll be marrying him. So a ring might remind you of somebody, but on the wedding day, the engagement ring has served its purpose. Now it still looks good. 
but it's done what it's supposed to do because the person and the day and the time is now. So we're looking forward. And then the final thing to say is to be thankful. To be thankful. It's a Thanksgiving meal. I know Thanksgiving isn't a big deal here. But we are giving thanks in obedience to the instruction of Christ. We're giving thanks. That God would set up the whole of history and send his son to die on a cross, to suffer leading up to it, to suffer on the cross, to die and to be raised so that I can be brought into relationship with him. If you've had a fallout with someone, even this morning, then communion is a good time. You don't have to revisit the whole argument to say we're still together because Jesus makes us family. So practically, keep hold of your cracker and your juice and then we'll eat and drink together. So we'll just take a couple of minutes, go back to some of the scriptures or just allow God to speak as we do something that we do so often. Let me read one more scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8. Same letter from Paul to the same church. Your boasting is not good, he says. Do you not know that a little leaven, yeast, leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. And then he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul goes on in his letter to say, don't do this without examining yourself. It's not to disqualify us from taking part. He does it so that we can say, if I have a problem with my small group leader or with my pastor, I need to sort out that problem. We don't have communion because we're perfect in the same way that we don't enter into relationship with God because we're perfect, because then none of us would have that relationship. We wouldn't even start. But Paul is reminding us to celebrate, not with malice, not with evil, but with sincerity and truth. I will be true and I'll acknowledge this is how I'm feeling about God, about that person in church or that person at home. I'll be truthful and I'll be sincere in making sure that I do what I need to do. so that there can be unity 
in the body. Paul goes on to write, Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one breath. Lord Jesus, we honor you as our host, as the one who both instructs and invites us. We thank you that you are present with us. And we choose to become less so that you can become more. Jesus, thank you that out of your increase, your desire is to share with us, to share the glory, to share the greatness, to share in your overcoming. Lord Jesus, we honor you as the one who overcame death, who was able to face every accusation from the evil one for our sakes we honour you as the one who took upon yourself all the sin of the world all my sin we honour you as the one who cleanses us we honour you as the one who offers us forgiveness who proclaims liberty to captives. God, I speak of freedom over us as a body. And we declare that freedom as we eat together in your name, Amen. Let's eat. Jesus, your blood is what we plead. Knowing that your Father accepts it because of your sinless, perfect life. And God, thank you that you know the doubt that there is within this room, the concerns the anxieties, even those that are causing illness, illness of body, mind, spirit, or a combination of two or th- even all three of those. Lord Jesus, I declare that it's not the sincerity of our faith that silences the accuser but the blood of the Lamb, the object of our faith. Lord Jesus, we honour you as we drink together. In your name, Amen. Jesus won and we 
enforces victory. That's how testimony is so powerful. Reminding the enemy of his defeat. So teams will sing songs about their victories. And we can testify now as we sing.